Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Hector Flores with Modern Woodmen of America, fraternal financial organization. He can help you plan for you and your family's future. So give Hector a call. He's a local guy, 940-453-3490. Also, of course, brought to you by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Dal? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast version 186, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We have a lot to dazzle and entertain you with here on this version. We will talk to our ESPN Cowboys insider, Todd Archer. We will also have a special appearance from ESPN NFL insider, Ed Werder, who's going to join us a little bit later on in this podcast. Programming note, podcast note, make of it what you will, but this will be our final podcast of 2021. Jacques and I will pick it back up. We will drop our first podcast of 2022 immediately after we conclude our Cowboys postgame after the Arizona game. But with the New Year's Eve holiday coming up and New Year's Day, so many people are off and schedules are all wonky. We won't be doing another podcast. And then we'll get back into our, our normal three podcasts a week when we get into, obviously, starting January 3rd and on through next week. So we got a lot to get to. We're also going to go through my list of books from the year. I told you I had that goal of reading books, and we've had several people on Twitter and on Instagram messaging us about, well, what books are they? And so this being the final podcast of the year, we'll get into that. But before we do all that and talk cowboys and have some fun, let's tell you about Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Hector is the dude to go to when you finally wake up and realize that you could be using your finances a little bit better. As a matter of fact, He's had several people reach out to him asking about options with their bank CDs because bank CDs renew in January and then they become locked in again for a period of time. And if you want to access the principal, then there's usually an early withdrawal penalty. So he can talk you through all this and kind of get you on the page that you need to be in when you're talking about the new year and some of these things like this, depending on the client situation and time horizon that perhaps a bank CD is not the best option for you. But he's, he's got some ideas and some things where he will tell you, bottom line, you got to discuss your options of what's available for you, depending on where you're at in life, to help you plan for further down the road. 
No, it's it's all about planning, man. And that to me, that's the greatest thing that Hector and modern woodmen do, man. The, the the thing is they they create a plan for you. And it doesn't matter what the plan is. The plan can be I want to be very aggressive with this CD. The plan can be I want to be very aggressive in my retirement. I want to be conservative. I want to be something in the middle. It doesn't really matter. All you have to do is go talk to Hector. Tell him what you'd like to do. Here's my goal. How can I get there? He'll develop a plan for you. Then all you got to do is follow it, man. That's exactly right, and he's easy to get a hold of. And again, keep in mind when you call Hector, one of the cool things about what they do with Modern Woodmen of America is it's a fraternal financial organization. It's non-fee-based, so it doesn't cost anything to meet with them. So give them a call today, 940-453-3490. That's 940-453-3490. Also, of course, our friends, Robert Greening and his staff, the Green Team, the attorneys at Greening Law. If you were hurt in a car accident like I was in 2021, if you've experienced malpractice from a physician or a hospital, maybe you were injured on the premises of a business, they have represented all sorts of clients and they do it the best because they are working for you and the consultation is free. You can give them a call and find out if you have a case for them to help you with. And check this out, man. The phone call doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not a sickle, single nickel to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, here's my situation. What do you think? And if they take you on for a client, you never, ever have to worry about how hard they're working for you because they don't get paid unless you get paid. That's exactly right. That's the way it works, and they will be working for you. So give them a call, 972-934-8900. That's 972 972- 934-8900. Keep that number handy. Trust me. It's not like you plan to get in a car accident, so keep that number handy. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So here we are, man. The Cowboys are done for 2021. They have two games remaining in the season. They'll both be in 2022, believe it or not. The next one coming up, of course, Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals, that 325 kick on Fox. And it's interesting, when you look at this, this is an 11-4 and Cowboys team whose defense leads the NFL in takeaways. Their offense is putting up 56 points in a game and and looks like, at least for a game anyway, for the most part, it gets back on track. And it's always really funny because I find it really interesting. There is a group of you that somehow believes that this team is not very good because you look at it, and I've, I've heard this, I'm sure you have too, from a variety of people that go, well, they haven't played anybody. It's a, it's a mediocre team who's been beating up on less than mediocre competition. And I always thought that's really interesting because do you realize how many mediocre teams are in the NFL? All the other good teams are doing the same thing the Cowboys are. Yeah, there's something to be said for that, man. Um, you know, I think you just have to understand that if you, if you really follow the league, you'll see that uh, the Texans went and blasted the, uh, the Chargers, yeah. that the, uh, the Bills lost somehow to Jacksonville, that the Cowboys got stopped by the Broncos, you just understand, man, it's hard to win in this league. And if you don't come to play, you can get your butt kicked any and every day of the week. And so there's something to be said about showing up and figuring out how to win ball games. And again, I go back and forth because it depends on how the team is playing, whether, you know, I think it's worth style pointing or not. And, um, you know, um, this is a huge game this week, not only because it continues to put you on the on the pace for the number two seed. But, you know, the Cardinals have been struggling, but they're a good team. And so I can't wait to see how they play against a good team in a game that really matters. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, man. And and we shall see because, as you pointed out, the Cardinals obviously at 10-5 and would be the best team that the Cowboys record-wise have beaten this year. They beat New England. New England's 9-6. and They've beaten a couple of, like Philadelphia. Philadelphia's not any good. Philadelphia's borderline playoff team, believe it or not. They're 8-7. and They have a winning record. So, you know, they've been able to get past teams. They beat the Chargers earlier in the year, and the Chargers are 8-7. and seven. Well, I just lost the Texans. They're, they're not any good. That's where the argument always becomes comical to me. And, I mean, it, it just doesn't take much to look around the league and look at some of the other teams that, for instance, like Green Bay has beaten. They already beat the Cardinals, you know, and they beat the Rams, so I'll give you those. But they're also winning against the Bears, and they're beating up. Hell, they lost the Vikings, so I guess they're not any good. You know, it, it's... I love the pick-and-choose argument when the reality of it is... And I one guy actually tweeted at me, and he said, I don't think they've done enough this season to show me anything. I want to wait until they win a playoff game. And I said, a playoff game? That does it for you? I said, if they don't get to the NFC title game, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I've seen a playoff game. And, and again, it's about putting yourself in the best position that you can when you get into the tournament. The Cowboys are trying to do that. I, don't, I, I really don't. It'll be cool if they win a playoff game, but if they can't get to the NFC title game this year, you just start scratching your head and wondering... When the hell is it ever going to happen? Yeah, when's, when's it going to happen if it hasn't happened now? Um, but again, you know, man, I hate um, – I mean, y'all know how I am by now. I just – I hate to get too far ahead, man, because I just like to – like, you know, you – you, I say it like this all the time. Everybody's so anxious to read the final chapter before they really even get to, you know, start the book good. Yeah. And we're nearing close to the final chapter, and so – I just hate going, well, if they don't do this, then it's been a waste. If they do do this, it's been let's, – can we just, like, see how the season's going? Because you still really don't know who this Cowboy team is. You know they're good, but you really don't have any idea how good they are. You see the potential. You see what they can be, but you don't really know just how good they are. Yeah, you don't. And – Again, that's part of what the playoffs is all about, right? It's it's supposed to tell you how good is this team. Because we've seen really good regular season teams that got into the playoffs. The Cowboys have done it. Cowboys have had very good regular season teams that some of you out there would be like, man, this team's really good. Look at what they've done. And then they lose their first playoff game. We've seen examples in the NFL of teams that kind of struggled and kind of rinky-dinked their way into the playoffs and then won three or four games in a row and either played in the Super Bowl and ended up with the Super Bowl championship. It's about getting into the dang tournament. And then we'll figure out how good this team is. But to me, that that's... Arizona is going to be an interesting challenge. It, it is not the Arizona team that it was earlier in the year. And I'm not exactly sure what has happened to them. Kyler Murray has not been what he was earlier in the season. They've now lost three games in a row coming in here in four out of their last six. But it's interesting because Kyler earlier in the year was doing everything and has really, since he came back from his injury, he's, he's just, I don't know if he's just not the same guy or what it is, but he's not putting up the same type of numbers that he was earlier in the year. Sound like you're talking about Dak Prescott. It does sound that way. He's going through a little bit of a slump, perhaps. Yeah, or, you know, he's more beat up from his injury than, than he's letting on because that's what football players do. Yeah. And the injury is, is just affecting a little bit of high plays. And so, uh, you know, but just like Dak, and I wrote a column about this that you can find on uh, DallasNews.com, just like Dak had a slump buster game last week, Kyler Murray can certainly have a slump buster game. It's just a matter of um, 
And at some point, he's going to come out of it because he's a good player. You just hope it ain't against you. Yeah, you do. You do hope it's not against you. But I will say, if Dak is truly out of the slump, as one game, as you said, it's a slump buster. But now we've got to see some of those things again this week from the offense. I don't, I'm not talking – you don't need to score 42 points, obviously. But if the offense can go out there and get 30, 31, 35 points, whatever it is, in that window and show us that they can consistently start doing some of these things, then there is that belief that they can keep this going. Because it's obvious that for whatever reason, this is just the defense this year that's going to take the ball away from you. It's going to happen. They're going to get one. At some point, the defense is going to make a play. We're at a point in the season where these aren't trends. These aren't, well, man, I wonder if they can keep... This is what you are. 15 games into the season is what you are. Well, like, I think you said for whatever reason. It's real clear to me why they're getting all these turnovers, bro. One, and we've talked about it quite a bit over the last six weeks, they got playmakers, man. They got a lot of playmakers. Randy Gregory, Micah Parson, Demarcus Lawrence, Trayvon Diggs, Jordan Lewis. And then those are your big playmakers. Then they got all these other guys who, you know, kind of seemingly pop up and make plays here and there. That's number one. And two is the oldest thing in football, man. Quarterbacks under duress make mistakes. You now, all of a sudden, for the first time in a long time, have a legitimate pass rush with Gregory, with Lawrence, with uh, Parsons leading the way. And so quarterbacks don't have a lot of time to study. They don't have a lot of time to throw. At a certain point, they get tired of getting hit. And they just launch that thing. And all of a sudden, voila, here come the turnovers. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening, man. I mean, it's, it's a fun team to watch. Obviously, it's been fun with the defense. It's funny how the season went. Because I think when it first started happening with the defense, we were all kind of like, this is interesting. Like, wow. And then obviously Tank got hurt early on and we didn't have him. And then Randy Gregory had to miss time. So it was all about Micah Parsons. Then Trayvon Diggs is picking the ball left and right. Now they're all healthy and playing. And about the time that that started coming around, the the offense, you're just like, well, what's going on with the offense? And I guess that's why Sunday was so much fun because it was the merging of the offense and the defense with some special teams mixed in that really made for a perfect game, which was a hell of a lot of fun to see all the units that you can enjoy. Uh, dude, it's, um, you know, this team has a possibility, bro. There's a chance. They have a chance. This team has a chance because you've seen them both be able to play elite offense and elite defense during this year. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can do that, man. And so if they play their A game on a given Sunday, I don't give a damn who they playing. They can win. The question is, will they play their A game? Well, let's hope that they do. I think the Cowboys are going to win, and I think they're going to win out. I think they'll win here just based on what we've seen and, and the struggles that Arizona's coming in and being at home. The Philadelphia game is going to be interesting because I don't think Philadelphia is that great, but I do wonder if there will be some desperation in Philadelphia. That the, And we'll see because Philadelphia is going to be fighting for their playoff lives. They're 8-7 and seven right now. They play Washington this week. If they get to 9-7, and seven, needing to beat Dallas at home to get into the playoffs. We'll see how it all plays out. But I, I do think they're going to win their next two games and that they're going to finish 13-4, and four, which is a phenomenal season. And we'll see what happens. If you can get into the playoffs and get a little help, the one seed is still there. I don't think they get it. And then the two seed, obviously, it depends. If they finish in a three-way tie, they would be the two seed. If not, and it's them in Tampa, then Tampa owns the tiebreaker over them. So we'll see how it plays out. But it's... 
I think it's going to be a fun next couple of games. Oh, no doubt, though. But I, I think um, I think they're going to play their guys against Philly because yeah. they're going to be trying to secure the number two seed. Um, and so unless, you know, now check this out, Matt. What if, like, Tampa and the Rams lost and they're like, well, hell, we, you know, there's a scenario where we need to lose to maintain the three-way tie so that we have it because if we win, there's a two-way tie and we lose the seed. How crazy would that be? That'd be wild. That'd be really weird. Yeah, because you, I mean, you definitely, if you can't get the one, you sure as hell want the two so that if you win the wild card game, you've got that second game at home because they've been so much better at home than on the road this year, offensively especially, and they really, if they can get as many home playoff games as possible, then I like their opportunity to perhaps go as deep as that can last. We'll see. We'll see, but it should be a fun one, and We'll find out Sunday afternoon, but I do think it's going to be one of those games the Cowboys pull out. Arizona's been interesting because you look at the three losses they've had in a row, and they've given up, in their last four losses, they've given up 34, 30, 30, and 22 points, which kind of leads you to believe that there's an opportunity for Dallas to score right around that 30 to 34 plateau, and if they can do that, I think they do win the game. Dude, I'm really excited about this game. I'm excited about a game like this. Uh, in a minute, I've been excited to watch the Cowboys play, but this is probably the most excited I've been about a game since New England uh, in terms of I just want to see how they play because they've been killing these bad teams uh, and these lackluster quarterbacks. And I just want to know what they do against a team that has a lot to play for. They will be locked in whose quarterback has the ability to um, to, uh, you know, to do some things to you. And I just want to see how they perform, man. Well, you'll get an opportunity, 325 on Sunday, on Fox, Cowboys and Cardinals at AT AT&T Stadium. As we continue here on the podcast, before we get into our trip around the block, we always like to tell you about our wonderful sponsors, and we appreciate so much this year. You guys have just knocked it out, man. I mean, we've had, obviously, some sponsors that were with us for a while that, for a variety of different reasons, had to uh, no longer hang with us, but they may come back. And then we've welcomed in some new sponsors that you guys continue to support the people who are helping to make this thing possible. And in the year of 2021, it's awesome. And applaud to all you guys for doing that because when you support our sponsors, it's directly supporting us. And like I said, it it literally is why we get to keep doing this. And that's why like Bruce Biltong is a great example of this. This is the second month that Bruce has been with us. And so many of you went out and, and placed orders. And it's funny because the person who handles their campaign they're doing with us, they do a couple of other things. They We're the only podcast they do, the only podcast they've ever done, the Jam Session podcast with Bruce Biltong. But she let me know that they have done some like social media advertising and whatnot, and that our podcast has just crushed the results they got from anything else they've tried like that. And that's a Boom. testament to all of our listeners because you that guys are supporting up, it. And, and that's awesome for us. And again, Bruce Biltong... It is good. We do like it. Both Jacques and I honestly do eat it. I have a bag at home. I love it. I think it's great. (laughs) And that's why we tell you about it is we get to pick and choose. Who do we want to work with? I mean, who do we think is a good fit for what we do and and how can we help them? And Bruise is one of those. It's B-R-U-S, B-I-L-T-O-N-G, BruiseBiltong.com. If you like beef jerky, you're going to love it. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat, and it is awesome. Bruise is badass. Eat it. (laughs) 
I always crack up when you say it like that. But it's true. And, and I know you enjoy it so much that you're a big fan of it as well. And it, it's, it's just, there's no sugar. There's no artificial ingredients in it. It's very high in protein. It's lean and it's filling and it, it's more savory and more tender than beef jerky. And I love it. I, I really, really enjoy biltong. And it's crazy that I went this far in my life without ever having any idea of what it is. And now it's something I want to eat all the time. That's how it goes sometimes, bro. I guess so, but it is Bruce Biltong. You can check them out online at BruceBiltong.com. Use the promo code JAM15 and you get 15% off your order at checkout. Also, of course, Aaron and his guys at HFX Foundation Solutions. It's one of those things, especially in Texas, I think most people know this, is the foundations here are so incredibly wonky. You really never have any idea, and you'll see a crack here and there. Maybe you notice that your floors are starting to slope or what have you. You need to contact HFX Foundation Solutions as early as possible if you notice those signs so that they can help save you thousands in potential damages down the road. 817-770-0174. Aaron's another one. He's been with us for pretty much the entire duration of the podcast. Local. They will come out, family-owned thing, man, and they will do it right with you the entire way if you do have a problem, which you might, but you don't know if you don't call. And what we always say about it, man, is we call the colonoscopy for your house because it, you call Aaron, HFX, they give it a complete one-over, man, the foundation, they check it out. And if they give you a, hey, it's all good, baby, then you ain't got nothing to worry about. If they tell you there's a problem, chances are they've caught it early in the process, and now it's just a matter of fixing it at a much fraction of the cost as if you waited for a longer period to get it done. So that's why we always say, you know, check them out, give them a call, and the call costs nothing. It does. That's exactly right. It doesn't cost anything. I mean, it's a totally free consultation. They will come out on site and have that done for you where not only do you get the phone call for nothing, they'll come out and give you that free, no-obligation inspection at your home. Now, if you do have a problem, they offer third-party financing to get you through that, or maybe it'll be nothing. And he'll be like, hey, I see why you called, but you're good. 817-770-0174. That is Aaron, his crew at HFX Foundation Solutions, online at hfxfoundation.com. Well, I guess we'll have the taco conversation as we take this trip around the block, because it's funny, you and I, or I guess you had, I had put out on Twitter, because I am in the Dallas area this week doing my show that airs in Birmingham from Dallas for the Alabama-Cincinnati game. So right. I've been out here, and I've been, I spend one segment a day on my show giving people, because a lot of people from Alabama are headed this direction. And they're asking, you know, where should we go? Uh, we've been before, but didn't know what to do. And, and what do we eat and all that type of thing. So, of course, being a resident Dallas expert based on having lived the vast majority of my life in this area, I offer them some things that I think they would enjoy about Dallas and Fort Worth and eateries. And today I ended up talking about tacos for like 12 minutes. Oh, my. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought and you know what? I think this is true. The more I thought about it, I was like, you know something? If you are a taco fan, I don't know that there is a better city in the country. You know, maybe San Diego or something. But I think the DFW area has got to be one of the best places in the country for tacos. Nah, bro. I think it, I think it is the best place in the country for tacos. Because you've got, you know, you've got the authentic uh, 
what do you call them? Taquitos street tacos. Or, yeah, like the Mexican yeah, street tacos right. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got so many Hispanic people that live here. You get a, an authentic feel to it. Um, and there's so many, so much variety, and there's so many good ones, man. I think, you know, you'd have a hard time convincing me that if there's another place that serves a better quality of taco from top to bottom uh, than Dallas. I agree. And, it, and that's one of the things is once I started getting into this, I was like, man, this is really, really interesting because there are, I bet I could name, I don't even know how many taco places, but there's got to be a hundred different taco places, probably more than that, all throughout the North Texas area. And, and they're all like you're talking about. Some of them are more the traditional Mexican streets like Trombo, Trompo, or however you pronounce it, that's over there. It used to be this little hole in the wall place off of uh, Commerce on the other side of Sylvan. On, in right. West Dallas. And then they opened a place in Oak Cliff, which I think closed. And now they've got a place in East Dallas or wherever. Torchy's Tacos, which technically is out of Austin, but they're all over the place. Fuzzy's Tacos, which originally started up by TCU in Fort Worth. And now there's a million of those. Right. I mean, our taco, Rusty Taco, whatever they call it now. Velvet Rusty Taco. Rusty Taco is really good. Velvet it is. Taco is really good. Although I still prefer to search for the hole-in-the-wall taco place as opposed to the massive chain. Well, my favorite taco place in the entire area is Charlie's Burgers and Tacos in Rockwall. And it's, it's downtown on the square. I love that place. And we were just talking about it earlier today. Me and the lady friend were like, man, we should order some. We got to go by before we leave at some point and eat Charlie's Tacos. Because I love them. I mean, they're just, they're incredible. But there's so many different taco places. And they're all over the place. I mean, that's the thing. Tacos Mariachi, which I don't know if it's still there. It used to be over there by where I lived in West Dallas that it was on diners, drive-ins, and dives and had this crazy good mole stuff, and then they did an octopus taco and all kinds of wacky stuff. <laughs> and, and then somebody, oh, Fuel City Tacos, and it's like, oh, why do people like Fuel City Tacos? Breakfast tacos. Yeah, those are outstanding. And I see, I think that's the thing about the taco, man. You can have a breakfast taco yep. that's fantastic. You could have another taco perhaps street tacos for lunch. And then for dinner, you can have whatever kind of taco you want. It could be a, a grilled shrimp taco. It could be a traditional, um, you know, a beef taco. I mean, you know, it could be a salmon taco. Had one of those from Velvet Taco last week that was stupendous. Um, and you've, he you've had the whole day, you've eaten nothing but tacos, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it is extraordinarily... God, what's the name I'm trying to look for? Like, there's a lot of different uses for the taco. Not ambidextrous, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. versatile. How can I not think of the word versatile? The tacos are a very versatile item. Like you said, breakfast, lunch, dinner. They even have dessert tacos. I mean, they're, they're all kinds of different things. You can get chicken. You can get beef. You can get steak. You can get pork. You can get all like cow tongue and cow brain and Octopus. Yeah, I trying and, to do all that, but it's good to know it's available if that's what you want. <laughs> I tried some of those when we were out in California, whenever that was, a couple of years ago for Cowboys camp, and my brother was with me, and we went to Santa Barbara, and we went to some random local taco shop that we found in Santa Barbara, and they, ha I mean, you had to be able to speak a little bit of Spanish to get into that place to order, and they had cow brain and cow tongue tacos that we tried. No, I'm a, oh, you tried them. Yeah, how, I did. How were they? Because I'm not interested. They were good. You know, they, they were a hell of a lot better than that freaking cricket taco I ate in Miami. <laughs> that was horrible. And I remember That's, our waitress was like, oh, you should try it. It's really good. And I bit into it. I was like, this is like eating a, off of the ass of somebody who woke up in the desert. Wow. It was horrible. 
the ass of somebody who woke up in the desert. <laughs> just saying, because it was so dry and just blah. That, it was gross. That is descriptive right there, people. Thank you. I just thought it was horrible, man. But I remember that because we were, you know, so there are dead crickets in a taco. I mean, you can have all kinds of stuff in a taco. Hell yeah. You remember that? Because uh, they, they went so no, overboard, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was, um, that was Miami. Yeah. Uh, the question is, uh, do you like to make tacos? I do like to make tacos. Tacos is something I will make at home. I, like, I make breakfast tacos for myself all the time where I'll make sausage and, and make some eggs and throw them into a tortilla. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do. I'm with you. I do that all the time. I'm a big fan, you know, and I'll, and I'll make some chicken tacos and whatnot at, at home. It's, yeah, I, I love tacos. No, I'm with you, man. I make a lot of tacos at the crib myself these days. You should do it more often because it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, I, so, you know, there's a little taco talk for you. Taco. Somebody tweeted at me, taco talk. I was like, yeah, okay, taco, taco. What you tacoing about? Ha, 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 LOL. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you I'm never know. Guy. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm a taco fan. And, and the more I started thinking about it, that might be my go-to favorite food right now is tacos. I'm not opposed to that, man. I mean, the, the, there's greatness in tacos. I could literally eat tacos every day. See, I could too. I mean, I, yeah, that's the thing, yeah. It wouldn't even bother me. And like I said, I, I could make them every day and eat them too um i i simply love tacos they're fantastic they are they're so damn good i i just i want more of them now well that's weird <laughs> speaking about this this is really interesting we were just talking about those trompo tacos i was just i'm just now on dallasnews.com and i literally one of the headlines on here is trompo restaurant note cliff is permanently closed wow how weird is that but the celebrated taquiera still has a location in east dallas so there you go wow who knew I was so Man. pertinent and topical? There you go. Shoot. That's why you listen to the podcast. That is why you listen to the podcast. You know, one of the other things that's kind of interesting about all this is if you go to Dallas News or wherever you go, I mean, you can do like in Alabama, I use AL.com a lot, but in, in Dallas, I would always use DallasNews.com. And I still do for the podcast, but it's wild to think. We were talking about this the other day. That snowstorm was this year. And it, I don't know why, but it seems like it was so long ago when we yeah, were all without power trekking through the snow. That was nine months ago or ten months ago. Or wow. Whatever. That's how quick the world works, man. It is. <laughs> There's been so much other stuff that's happened since then. We're like, we're on to the next one, brother. Yeah, I guess we are. And, you know, here we are. You think about that snowstorm, and here we are in December, and it's 80 degrees. And then, of course, one week from right now, well, even quicker than that, five days from now on Sunday, the high in Dallas is 40. 80 degrees today on Sunday, 40. I wonder that's if they'll open the doors. Cold. Yeah, it is. You know, they should nah, open the dams. They should. When it's cold outside in Dallas, they should open the roof and the, and the doors and all that at AT&T Stadium for the game. Let people realize, you know what? It can be cold in Dallas, and that's okay. <laughs> no, nah, they ain't trying to do that. No, maybe not. All right. Well, let's move forward here because we've got to get into a wonderful cowboy conversation with our very next guest. It is time we do it each and every week to check in with our ESPN Cowboys insider. You read his work each and every week at ESPN.com. Brought to you by our friends at Blue Star Motor Group and BlueStarMotorGroup.com. Todd Archer joining us here. And Todd, man, we talked about we needed to see something coming home, get an opportunity to be in front of the home crowd, Sunday night football, 
They knew they had the division before the game began, but my God, what a performance from the Cowboys on Sunday night with the win. What do you take away from 56 points? Yeah, I don't look at it and say, well, Washington didn't have this guy and they had so many guys on COVID and blah, blah, all that kind of – I don't care. This was about the Cowboys going out and looking like they did at the start of the season offensively. They moved it at will against anybody. It was about them. And they, they were able to make big plays. They ran the ball effectively, and the quarterback looked like a quarterback. So, you know, anybody who wants to like, downplay it because, well, Washington was without guys, and they didn't have sh- they had a short week of practice and all that kind of stuff, I, I-, I don't care. The Cowboys looked – they-, they did what they needed to do, and now it becomes the challenge of, okay, do it again. And then if you do it against Arizona this week, then the challenge becomes, well, now you got to do it on the road at Philadelphia. And then it becomes – then you got to do it in the playoffs. So I, I, maybe this is the, the start or something that they're kind of getting back on track uh, as they were really, what, the first six or seven games of the season. Yeah, what uh, what impressed you most in the win over Washington? I, I don't know. Well, I, I, on offense or on defense or it doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't I, matter. I'll stick, with, I, I'll stick with the offense and I'll just go about the guy that I wrote about on uh, Tuesday, and that's the quarterback. He looked different, and it, he looked willing to use his legs, and that's not something that we saw. Despite what he would say about it, the, the calf is fine and the ankle is no problem, he was a guy that looked reluctant to take off and make some plays. And it was only a four-yard run that he had on his first scramble, I think, but it was a guy. But he got out of trouble. And then he had the big 13-yard run. He got out, out of trouble, and he was able to make a play on the move and get the ball downfield to Michael Gallup. That Dak looks different than the pre-calf injury, or I'm sorry, than the post-calf injury Dak. And, and that was probably the most encouraging thing in, in my view because you're kind of figuring out, you know what this defense is. You kind of know what the running game is with Zeke banged up and Pollard banged up, but it still can be effective. If they're going to be a legitimate team, it's about Dak Prescott, and he performed really for the first time since the, the New England game. Uh, as, as well as he ever had. Why do you think that is? Like, what what did you see from Dak, if anything, outside of running that, because I agree with you, I mean, he was very good, very good throwing. I think at one point he started like 20 of 21. Why do you think all of a sudden we've seen this change in Dak the last week? I wish I had an answer. We asked him about it, and he just said, oh, just the opportunities presented themselves. Well, <laughs> we saw other opportunities in that stretch where he could have, run or, or gotten out of trouble and he didn't or couldn't, so whichever way you want to look at it. Um, I, I don't think it wasn't, a, you know, they, they ran their same bootleg game and, and waggles and things like that. Um, uh, and he was better and efficient there. And I think guys made plays for him too. I'm thinking one of those uh, rollouts to the left uh, where he throws at the CD and CD goes up and makes a, a really one of his better catches of the season while he's, while he's getting hit as well. Think about the free plays that they were able to make some plays down the field uh, to to Cooper and Lamb. I, maybe he just kind of said, "F it, I'm going." And and if it something happens to me, something happens to me. I, I don't know that, but something was certainly different. Something's been different about their defense since Demarcus Lawrence showed up. What do you think it is? Uh, they've added another really good player to to the scheme, right? And I'm writing about Demarcus for later in the week, and it's funny, you know. Jock, we've been around since he was a rookie, right? And he broke his foot his rookie year. He missed the first seven or eight games. 
kind of took him a while to get up to speed. But by the end of the season, he was their best pass rusher. Certainly in the two playoff games, he was their the most effective pass rusher. Now this year, he has all the tricks of his experience. And I think he's in a situation where he knows he knows how this works, that opportunities are fleeting. Um, eventually, the salary cap is going to get everybody, and his number next year is $27 million bucks. And I think he's just going out there and, and, and playing, and playing unbelievably well. He first lost, forced the first lost fumble of Saquon Barkley's career. He's been a, a force against the run. He's, he's gotten a lot of pressures in the four games back, and obviously the interception is an unbelievable play by him. But I, I just think it's a, a matchup of a player knowing where he is in his career. And, again, not that he's old. The dude's 29, and he's only been here eight years, but he's the longest-tenured defensive player. But I think all of this stuff kind of matches up where he's heard Sean Lee and Witten and Crawford and all these guys talk to him about the opportunities and you're only so fleeting and you got to make the most of it that now he's that guy that looks at it and says, this might be my best chance and my last chance to get something going. And I think he's kind of making the most of it. So when we look at this and when you have a game, I mean, everything went right. And you, it was funny when Jacques asked you, what was your favorite part? And you said, well, which part? Because, you know, they did score on offense. They did score on defense. They scored on special teams. Everything just kind of came together in the one game. But overall, moving forward, because there is a, there is some people out there that they, well, I mean, who have they played? Who have they beaten? And, and to me, when you look at it, I don't think it's that simple. I mean, it's... And Jacques and I have talked about it. There's really not a great team in the NFL this year. You know, maybe the Packers are pretty good and the Chiefs. But when you look kind of throughout the course of the NFC, I mean, a lot of these teams the Cowboys have played and have beaten are either 7-8 and eight or 8-7, eight and seven, right there at 500, a couple over 500. This hasn't been like some just easy stretch of schedule for the Cowboys this season. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a parody-driven league where I guess everybody's either going to be 8-9 and nine or 9-8, nine and eight, and there'll be some outliers on, on both sides of this thing. And, I mean, I, I, I thought you were going to be heading down to the who scares you line about the, the rest mm-hmm. of the, the conference. And really nobody, because you can kind of poke holes in everybody's game a little bit. Tampa Bay's banged up. they got a lot of guys hurt now, whether they're back for the um, playoffs, fine, but they're still going to be dinged up and maybe not 100%. Of course, Tom Brady's the great equalizer, so maybe that's like the, the one team that you say, okay, give them the edge. But the Packers, you can run on them. Cleveland should have kept running on them and at least tied the game and got it into overtime. Before, before they messed that up on, on Christmas Day. Um, you look at the, the Rams. Stafford had three picks last week. You look at the Cardinals. They're in a big-time slump right now. Honestly, there was a time when I was watching the Niners play against Tennessee. I'm like, damn, I don't want to play that team. And then Jimmy G came out in Raiders' ugly head, and that took them out. So there's really no one that scares you, but everybody – is probably, if you're a fan of any other team in the NFC, and I, uh, I probably forgot a team in the mix, but if you're a fan of another team, you're, you're looking at the Cowboys and saying, Zeke can't run anymore. They Okay, yeah, he scored 56 against the bad Washington. So the Cowboys aren't going to scare anybody either. And that's why this thing is probably wide open and where home field would make a pretty big difference, especially this year for the Cowboys. Huge game with the best uh, high school quarterback to ever play in Texas high school football, Kyler Murray, coming back. Uh, what do they have to do to beat the Cardinals? Score more points. Is that too easy? Oh, oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, 
just play the way you've been playing. Um, it, you know, the Cardinals are in a funk. I, I go back to last year's game, though, and I think that was one of the more helpless, hapless feelings the Cowboys had defensively. Maybe the Baltimore game is another one. But they couldn't – Kyler Murray was awful in that game. I think he had 100 and, uh, 110 yards passing, and maybe 80 of them came on one play to Christian Kirk. Uh, but they ran all over the place. Their team speed was just so much more evident. Uh, against the Dallas defense, and maybe it wasn't just the team speed, it was the defense didn't know what they were doing, that this year, you look the way the Cowboys are playing, I, I have no qualms that the Cowboys can slow this offense down. They don't have DeAndre Hopkins. A.J. Green doesn't look like A.J. Green. Um, they, they look, and Kyle Murray's not been the same since he's come back from the ankle injury. So, you know, and, and Coach Bros in his normal late-season fade, whether he's at Texas Tech or, or with the Cardinals. Their, their defense is challenging. Chandler Jones is going to be a, a pain in the butt to kind of block. Uh, that's that's how he plays, and they got some players in the back end that can do some stuff. But I mean, if again, this is the game, and we pointed to it for a while that okay, you, you kind of get in right against some of these poor teams or teams that won't make the playoffs, whatever. Um, this is the game where you, where when when the Cardinals were ten and two, we're saying okay, that's the game where they got to win to show that they're a legit team, and I still think there's an element of that even if Arizona enters this game having lost three straight games. But, I mean, I, I, this is an eminently winnable game. I wish I knew what Vegas said about the line. And Matt, you know those things. <laughs> I haven't looked, but I can pull it up. I mean, I just, <laughs> NFL to me, like, I'll be honest. I bet on some college football. I don't know how in the world people bet on the NFL. That, that's something that's always perplexed me, especially in a year like this where, and you talked about it, Todd, with the amount of parity that there is and there's no great team I mean, hell, there's 13 teams in the AFC that are still alive trying to get into the playoffs. And, and we've got two two games left, which is just bizarre. But, yeah, I think when you look at Arizona and Dallas, it just feels like, and you kind of alluded to it, that's why I laughed. I thought it was funny because when he was at Tech, you know, they'd be ranked, they'd be top 15 or something, they'd be 7-0, and and then he'd lose five straight to finish 7-5 and down, the, se- down the, the end of the season. But Dallas is favored by 5.5. They're at home. And it feels like, and we kind of discussed this last week, it feels like, you know, once you go on the road for three straight games and, and you won them all, that maybe just coming home, get the offense going. And I think that this is another one of those games that you you almost are just using it as a momentum game to, to figure out how do we keep this thing clicking, roll into Philadelphia and see if you can lock up the two seed at the end of the year. And, and maybe, who knows, maybe the Vikings help you out and you got a shot at the one. But getting the two seed would be a big deal for this team as well. Well, yeah, and and but here's the deal: they 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 have to remain in a three way tie. That's true, right? You get yeah. the two, so they need the to win out. They need the Rams to win out, or the Packers to lose one game, and, and obviously Tampa because because of their their loss to Tampa. But I, I do think you're right about the momentum and the how you're feeling about this team, and it kind of reminds me a little bit, probably because of how well the defense is playing, is the way they finished the 2009 season. When they had back-to-back shutouts there against Washington and Philly, got hot, won the division, and obviously, you know, Roma won his first playoff game, and and they went there. And then in 2014, um, I think it was 2014, where the where the offense was scoring 40 points a game, yeah, uh, 2014, where they and they they go in and beat Detroit, win a playoff game, and go up the following week to lose Green Bay. It seems like that's the kind of path that they're on right now especially defensively, and we'll see after this week if the offense remains on uh, – I'm not saying they got to put up, what, 49 – or no, they didn't even put up 49. 42 points 
But if they can look as explosive as they did, then you start looking and you're thinking, okay, this is a two seed team, provided you three, or or you're a team that can uh, get one seed at the Packers. But honestly, they almost won in Tampa in week one. And the way that they're built, I don't know if anybody goes and says, well, you can't win in Green Bay because Tampa Bay wanted up there to go to the Super Bowl last year. So the opportunity is right there for these guys to to do something this franchise has not done since 1995. And honestly, this is why Mike McCarthy's here. Jason Garrett's done this. He's won divisions. He's had hot Decembers. He's gotten them to the division round. Mike McCarthy's here to, to do more and take this team past that division round. And and, and ultimately, that's how he's, he's going to be judged. He's done a fine job of getting this team back on track and emotionally stable and all that. Um, but now once you're into the, the, quote, real football, as he called it, this is where, where Super Bowl coaches are made and judged. You raised an interesting question because I actually am curious to see how the defense performs against a guy like Kyler Murray and against an offense that can be productive because as good as they've played the last four games, getting those 14 turnovers and giving up just about 14 yards and less than 300 yards a game, let's face it, they've been playing busters at quarterback. And so at least we know Kyler Murray is a real quarterback, and I'm interested to see how they perform. Why do I just lose Jacques? How come I can always hear Matt, but I can't hear Jacques when he starts talking? Yeah, I don't know, because I, I hear Jacques talking, so I don't know why you can't hear him. That's very strange. I don't know. It's a Can you hear me thing. now? Yeah. What was your question about Arizona? Basically, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how the defense performs, because the last four quarterbacks they've faced have been busters, and Kyler Murray's a good quarterback. He's playing like a buster, though. When's the last time he's done something? Right? I will say he has the ability to – he's never lost in this stadium or whatever his record is and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, they're in a funk right now. But it, certainly he's better than Taysom Hill and uh, Mike Glennon and uh, Taylor Heineke and who am I missing? He's the best guy they've faced since, since Thanksgiving, for sure, in, in uh, Carr. Um but again, they don't seem to be rolling right now. And that's why I just think the Cowboys defense is playing. I think they can keep him in the well and not let him get outside the pocket. I was curious because I know you saw where Schefter had tweeted out that the Jags have asked for permission to interview both Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore. Do you see anything coming out of this and, and the way that the NFL is structuring the ability to interview these guys now before the end of the season? It seems odd to me. Uh, that they would allow this, like, what? What's the? I, I guess the biggest benefit is you're getting more people in front of the team um, to interview, and, and that's been an issue, as we know, for, for the league for a long time. Um, the fact that Quinn and Moore are going to be on the list, and maybe George Edwards, and maybe even Foster, whoever you want to say, it, you know, speaks to the Cowboys' success that they've had this season, and no one should be surprised by that, but. The fact that they're allowing this now, I, I, I kind of think you should do it do it the other way. And Super Bowl's over, then you can hire guys. Then you can interview guys. Put everybody on even footing because you're, you're not fair to the coaches that are interviewing for these jobs. You're not fair for the teams that are still trying to win games, important games. And if everybody's hiring and firing at the same time, well, then it's under the skill of your owner, your general manager, your search committee, whoever it is, to find the right guy. Um, maybe that's just a pie in the sky, stupid way of looking at it, but 
you know, what if you name a coach, when's the Super Bowl? February 6th, whatever. If you name a coach on February 12th, is it that big of a deal? If you name him on January 12th, what are you really missing? Like, I don't know. I, I, again, it's probably that would never happen, but I just think it, it's this process. We'll see how it plays out. It seems a little strange to me that they think this is a better way to go about it to open it up during the regular season. Because now winter, so Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn will talk to these guys on Saturday, the night before the game, the day before the game. Like, when will they do it? So, and Cowboys actually practice on a Saturday. So, I don't know. It just seems a weird timing. Who do you think's got a better chance to get a job, Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn? I would see. We're going on recency bias here, right? Because we've seen the offense do nothing for six, seven weeks, and we've seen the defense do everything for the last six, seven weeks. Um, offensive coordinators are generally the way these teams go nowadays. It seems like so that gives Kellen the edge. But you look at Dan Quinn, and he's a guy who took the team to a Super Bowl. He's changed his M.O. on defense, so he's not. You, you wouldn't be getting just the same old coach doing the same old thing. Um, and we, we've seen how he's revamped this defense in, in, a, in a year uh, from what they were in 2020. My gut says Kellen would have a better chance of getting one just because teams tend to look at – let me look at the guys that have been hired. You know, it's Sean McVay and – and Shanahan and, and uh, Sirianni and, and Philadelphia and the fans keep it. They, they want the young offensive coordinator. Uh, so that leads me to believe that he would get a job before uh, Dan Quinn would get a second opportunity at it. Not saying that's right, wrong, or indifferent, but just the way I kind of think the trend of the league is that that would give Kellen the advantage over Dan Quinn. All right. Well, we'll see. I, I'll be curious to see. It'd be interesting if they both end up getting hired this offseason, what direction the Cowboys decide to go in. But That's you, the question. Hold yeah. on, let's not end this. If they lose one of – who would you – you don't want to lose either one. Who would you rather not lose? I, I, That's a good question. Like, to me, I want to say Kellen because I, I think – you have a better opportunity that maybe somewhere down the road he actually does become the head coach, whereas Dan Quinn I kind of always looked at as like a rental, so to speak, where he'd be here for a year or two and then get another head coaching job, whereas Kellen I kind of always thought might hang around, Jerry would take care of him, and, and he'd kind of move into that Garrett position where maybe he's what the future is. Right, but I mean, you look at what Dan Quinn has done to this defense, okay, who, who do they – you're talking about your third defensive coordinator in as many years. Man, I'm not. I'm playing devil's advocate here yeah. for you because I don't. If they lose Kellen, would they go outside the building and bring in somebody when they've spent this whole time talking about how important it is to keep the same offense for Dak, or do they elevate a guy like Doug Nussmeyer or something like that on defense? You know, I, I would assume it would go to Joe Witt or George Edwards if, if they stay in house and, and keep the same scheme and, and, and formula in place. Um, that would make sense. But it, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I tend to think because of what Quinn has meant to this defense and, and the camaraderie of the group and the, the belief that he's put in the guys, that they might miss him more than they would miss Kellen, even if Kellen is so important to Dak and his development and where he is in his career. So it's a, it's a man, this is a good question, and I hope I write it before Zach does. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I, I think I actually lean towards you. I think I'd rather keep um, Dan Quinn than um, Kellen Moore. And here's why. They've had good offenses before. A lot of people have had good offenses that they've run. Whether it was Garrett, whether it was Linehan, whether it was uh, Kellen Moore, they've had good offenses. They ain't really had a defense uh, that seems like it's playing this good in a minute. And so to me, I'd rather have this kind of dominant defense, guy who knows how to handle the playmakers, a guy who schemes guys to have a whole lot of success. If I had to make a choice, then the other way around. I agree with everything you just said, but I'll look at it from just a different perspective because, I, I mean, I just said probably Dan Quinn over Kellen, but next year's defense is going to look a lot different than this year's defense because I don't know how they keep Demarcus Lawrence on the $27 million cap number. You know, a bunch of their guys that they signed were on one-year deals um, that either are going to price themselves out or won't be back. Uh, yeah, you're going to have Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. Randy Gregory's the guy who's a free agent. Do you put the franchise tag on him or, or transition power or what tag, whatever it be? So this defense will look a lot different personnel-wise next year than this year. And maybe that's a reason – maybe that bolsters the argument for keeping Dan Quinn uh, because he has made it work with new pieces uh, coming in. Well, the pieces in, in that he one got – a lot of the pieces he got, and tell me what you think, they can be replicated because that they're because they're guys who play who fit a certain role. They're not the guys they brought in for the most part. The Keanu Nils, the Demonte KZs, the Brent Urbans, all those cats. The even I think Basham's got two years left, but Carlos Watkins. All those guys are people you can say, okay, Carlos Watson Watkins is leaving, but here's a guy who's a backup somewhere else who looks just like him, plays just like him. Let's get that guy in on a one-year deal this year. Right, but then you're – will that guy have the same success? I mean, we've seen this team of agency. That's their approach. They go take these one-year gambles on guys and well, say – Well, see, I think well, if, you keep, if you keep Quinn, then you're looking at Quinn – Quinn knows what he wants in certain types of guys. That's why he brought those types of guys in. That's what I'm saying. Now, if somebody else comes in, I think it's a little different. But if you keep him – he kind of has a feel now for what, what type of player works in his scheme. And, you know, because they're all kind of plug and play if they're not stars. Right. Well, and that, that, that's why I said if he were to leave, I don't think they're bringing in a new defensive coordinator. I think it will be Joe Witt, George Edwards. You know, either one of those two guys would get moved into the coordinator role. And they, they would want or understand – the same parameters that what Dan Quinn wanted in terms of length and defensive linemen and speed on the outside and ball skills, which, by the way, every friggin' defense in the NFL wants. It's not like he's created some new formula here. So um, I guess I'm now talking myself into a circle as to maybe keep killing more. I don't know. <laughs> well, there you have it. All right. Todd Archer, as always, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for hanging for a bit. Thanks, guys. Sorry about the phone trouble. Oh, no worries. All right. All right. Guys, see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, man. There he is. The greatness of Todd Archer. As always, brought to you by Blue Star Motor Group, bluestarmotorgroup.com. Have you checked out the inventory on the website? Or more importantly, 
Have you been thinking about selling your car and you're like, well, I don't know what to do. Well, here's what to do. Write down this number or just memorize it. 817-881-4066. That's Deb's number. Her and her husband, Mike, they own Blue Star Motor Group. And then what you're going to do, just shoot her a text. Hey, Deb, I've got a whatever year make and model car with this many miles on it. I'm looking to sell. Deb will text you back. We're interested. And then she's going to let you know, ask you a couple of questions, and they'll find an offer for you. A lot of the times, they will be able to offer you more for your vehicle than a dealership because they have low overhead. And they'll come to you. They'll come to wherever you are, and they'll give you cash on site for your car. And the thing about it is, I tell you all this all the time, man. Deb can make a deal. She ain't got to talk to a finance manager. She ain't got to talk to the general manager. She can make a deal on the spot. And then the other thing I like about Blue Star Motor Group is when the contracts are signed, when the handshakes are completed, they want everybody to feel like it's a win-win. I mean, they really want you to feel like you won, like it was a good experience for you because that's how their business works. And, you know, they've, they've had... The reason why their business has thrived is they make it a win-win situation for everybody. Exactly. So make sure you have her number. If you are looking to sell your vehicle, they will come to you. They will give you cash on site for your cards. Blue Star Motor Group, give Deb a text. Give her a call right now, 817-881-4066. That's 817-881-4066. And of course, as always, when you're speaking about cars, Freeway Tire Shop, it's where Jacques takes all six now, I believe, of his cars. (laughs) JR works with you, his team, his guys. It's elite customer service. It's competitive pricing. But perhaps most importantly, as Jacques has been telling you guys, when you go to Freeway Tire Shop, you are putting your car in a place where you can trust the mechanics and they stand behind their work. It's all about trust, man. It's about trusting JR and his mechanics, his team of mechanics, to diagnose the issue properly. Then it's about trusting them that they'll use quality parts to fix your car, man. Then it's about trusting that they'll actually give you a fair price where the labor is not $1,000 for every 30 minutes. And then it's about the trust that they stand behind their work, man. They do all of that. They do it consistently. And that's why I refuse to take my cars anywhere else. It's Freeway Tire Shop just north of downtown Dallas, right there off I-35. You can find them online. You can go there, request a quote, schedule your appointment with JR and his guys at Freeway Tire Shop, freewaytireshop.com. So let's move into this next conversation. And this is one that I think many of you, well, at least it seems like on our Twitters, that many of you are interested in this because one of my goals, and I've started doing this as I've gotten older, and some of them are weird. Like I just write out different goals or things that I want to challenge myself in ways that I can grow where I'll write them down at the beginning of the year and kind of keep them in mind throughout the course of the year. Like one of my goals last year, one that I didn't accomplish, but I'm going to put it down again next year and I hope to put a little bit more time into it is I'd like to speak Spanish better. And I, I took four years or four semesters of Spanish in college and I can get by, but I'd like to refresh myself. And for whatever reason, I just think it'd be cool to kind of be better at another language. So something like that, that'll be on my list for 2022. Well, for 2021, one of my goals, and I don't know why, I love to read, and I think I did this because I wanted to challenge myself to read, and I wanted to challenge myself to do some things that I don't necessarily do in that sense where, you know, I would read, but if it wasn't a book, if I knew for a fact it would, like, maybe wasn't a book I was, I didn't know if I'd be into it or not, I'd be like, well, I'll I'll find a book another time. Right. I was like, you know what? I want to read 26 books. 
this year. And so I started down that journey and I really got to a point where I was just like, just, I mean, I've been reading every single day for, and I'll tell you guys, cause I, I don't read physical books anymore. I read on the Kindle and I like that because it keeps track of your stats. And if there's a word that you don't know or whatnot, you can actually look it up immediately while you're reading the book, which I like. So there's just a, some different things that I enjoy about it. But I set out with that goal. I am currently on my 34th book, which I will finish here in the next couple of days. So I will have 34 books read. I surpassed my goal by eight. And then it made me wonder, I wonder how many I could read next year. But more so, (laughs) I don't even know if it's about the number of books as much as it's, I think my goal next year might just be, I want to read every single day for a year. Wow. Like, because some days I have time where I can sit down, I've got five minutes, I can read maybe a chapter, I got five. Other days I can read for two hours straight. But I think like if I just make the effort of this is something I want to do, I want to read every day because I like learning information and just all about different kinds of things. So a lot of you wondered, what did I read in the year of 2021? And so I thought, okay, well, let's go through this and find out exactly what it was that I read in the year of 2021. So this is going to be an interesting conversation, (laughs) I hope. Yes. (laughs) So the first book that I read, and I read this way back at the beginning of January last year, was The Longest Day, which some of you may know the movie, but it was a book about the D-Day invasion from June 6th of 1944, written by Cornelius Ryan. And that was a book that he wrote, I think it was like 15 years after World War II. And so he was able to interview a lot of the people who had actually been there while it was still fresh in their minds and memories. And he compiled these interviews to tell the story of how D-Day went, both from the Allied forces as well as the Nazis and, and German forces and all that. He had access to a lot of the stuff like German records and things of that nature. And it, it, I just thought it was a re- if you are into that time period or want to learn a lot about the D-Day invasion, that is a fascinating read. Um, what's the most interesting thing you took from that book? Well, one of the things, I mean, there's so many multiples that stuck out in my head, but one of them was how they put dummies and they had a dummy invasion and they did that to throw off German intelligence because reports were coming in that, oh, this is it. This is the invasion. And other of the Nazi Germans were saying, no, they're dummies. Like we've recovered them and they're just dummies that are dropping out with parachutes. And and so it took them some time to catch on that. Like this is actually the, I mean, there's so many different little tidbits in this book about why that invasion was successful and how perfectly timed it was, but not even necessarily by design, just because of fate, I guess the way the the world was supposed to be is, is why some of these little small things happened for the, for the allied forces that led to having such a successful invasion. So That was interesting. The second book I read, that was on a World War II kick for a minute, was (laughs) John Hersey's Hiroshima. And this is a reporter who wrote for The New Yorker who went into Japan after the atom bomb in Nagasaki and Hiroshima and was on the ground and wrote about it pretty much immediately afterwards. And they weren't allowing, like the American forces didn't want anything getting out. But he was able to get his story out. And the New Yorker, instead of it being an article, it ended up being an entire issue of the magazine. It was like 45 pages long. So it's a short book. Wow. But it's extremely detailed. And it tells the story of, I think it's four or five different people and how it impacted them and the aftermath of everything that they saw of living in Hiroshima in the aftermath of the atomic bomb. Man. 
That was kind of cool. Next up is Think Like a Monk, which was a book by Jay Shetty, who was a guy who grew up in a wealthy family in England and ended up deciding that he didn't want the material things, became a monk, lived as a monk, until they told him that you need to use your gifts to help people in the world understand this type of mentality and that you can have a better impact. So he now does a podcast and he wrote this book. And there's just different things about how, you know, training your brain for positivity and meditation and and just kind of stuff like that, I think. All right. So you have that. Next up was Farewell Titanic, Her Final Legacy by Charles Pellegrino. And that's about as simple as it is. That, That was a book about the sinking of the Titanic. And this is a historian who has been to the site underwater and... That was really interesting because he intertwined the mission that he was on in modern times at the bottom of the ocean going to see the Titanic with the story of the sinking of the ship as it happened that night. Hmm, That's interesting. Mm -hmm. In terms of how you intertwine those things. Yeah, I I was a, I I still am. I mean, I, I think the sinking of the Titanic is one of those things in history that is just so interesting in the fact that it happened and, and, how it happened. Anytime there's a great loss of life, you know, you always kind of wonder like, how did that happen? What do we learn from that? What is it now that we take away from that? I guess. All right. The next one was the one that we've talked about this before. Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intelligent life beyond earth that I read. (laughs) Well, I keep waiting for them to introduce themselves. I know it's going to happen one day. It just hadn't happened yet. No, it hasn't. And this is, it's a a Harvard astrophysicist who wrote a theory basically of why he believes why that is. And it explains his theory. It's fascinating. It's really in depth. I mean, there's some stuff in there that was over my head, but it's, I thought it was a really good read and I enjoyed it. So maybe you will as well. All right. So we continue down the list of these books. Let's see what's next here. Okay, yeah, so I read a lot of fiction. Like, that's a bunch of nonfiction. I read Lee Child, who writes the Jack Reacher series. I read one of his books called The Sentinel that I hadn't read before. I read Zero Fail, The Rise and Fall of the Secret Service by Carol Linning, which I, we talked about that on the podcast at one point, and that is a fascinating look at the Secret Service from, you know, when it was formed, going through Kennedy and all that, on through the Trump administration and the the final chapter kind of basically deals with the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol and all that stuff from earlier this year. It is a, if you like secret service and that, and which I've always been kind of fascinated by them, it's a really cool look at that program and the people that do that. No, I love the secret service, man, because it seems like they've got a bunch of secrets, but they're somewhat available. And I, and you always like hearing stories about the president and the stuff that they kept secret. Yeah. In a, in a way that they're not supposed to keep secret now. Yeah, and like which presidents did they like and first ladies and how it was and all that type of thing is kind of interesting as well. I read Margaret Atwood's sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. I read that this year it's called The Testaments. That was cool. Falling by T.J. Newman, who is a, forter, a former flight attendant who wrote a book about, and this is a fictional story, but it's about a pilot who's, whose family is taken hostage and he has been told to crash the plane and kill everybody on the plane or they will kill his family. Now, what do you do, man? I don't know. That's, that's you know, it's, it's one of the, like, if that was a real scenario, it's, it's okay, I got 200 people that I'm supposed to kill, and if I, or three people that I love the, more than all these 200 people combined. Right. Yeah. I don't know, dude. 
hopefully I don't, I'm not a pilot, so I don't ever have to make that decision. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Up next. And this is probably, this might be one of my favorite fictional novels I've read ever is Project Hail Mary, the Andy Weir book that I talked about that kind of explains uh, first contact in space. And it's a sci-fi type novel. He's the guy that wrote the Martian that they turned into a movie with Matt Damon, but my God, that book was good. I read the Matthew McConaughey book, Green Lights, which was interesting. I read a couple of John Grisham books because there were times this year where there wouldn't be anything that was out that I, th- I wanted to read. And so there's a couple of authors. One of them is John Grisham that I can read anything he does and pretty much enjoy it. So I read, I read a few of his. I read The Racketeer, Camino Island, and Camino Winds. I also read from John Grisham, The Reckoning and The Rooster Bar. I read Stephen King's new book that came out this year called Billy Summers, and that was an interesting book because that was about a hitman, the main what, character. Uh, what's, the, what's the deal with the hitman? He is a guy who's trying to get out of the life and realizes basically that the people who have hired him are trying to make sure that if he wants out of the life that he just doesn't have a life. Yeah. And so Stephen King, I mean, it's an, it's, I mean he writes so... It's a long book? Yes, it is. It's Stephen King, you know. I read a, a book from my buddy Lars Anderson called Chasing the Bear, which was how Bear Bryant and Nick Saban led Alabama into like a dominant program and, and comparing their two tenures at Alabama. I read Buddha's Brain, which we talked about before, which kind of is a little bit of a meditational book, but also some lessons and some things about how to relax yourself things you can focus right. on in the way that the brain works to help you be a little bit more positive and perhaps a little bit more relaxed during your daily life. I read The Only Plane in the Sky, which was the oral history of 9-11, which was phenomenal. I read Dave Grohl's new book, The Storyteller. Of course, Dave Grohl, the famous drummer of the Foo Fighters. I, oh, here's a couple more John Grisham books, The Whistler and The Judge's List. The new Jack Reacher book that came out a couple months ago by Lee Child, Andrew. It, it's uh, Better Off Dead. I read a book called How to Meditate, which basically I don't think needs an explanation. No, that, but how do they tell you to meditate? Well, this one is, it's, it's a book that talks you through a variety of different types of meditation. And it's kind of hard, you know, like breathing meditation where you count your breath, or there's kind of one that's more of a cerebral meditation where you allow yourself to be aware of everything that's happening, but you're more of a passenger on a train where you're seeing it but you're not allowing yourself to be distracted or taken into it. Right. If that makes sense. All right. We had Bad Motherfucker, the Samuel L. Jackson book. That's the name of the book. What do you want me to say? Hey, man. I'm just saying, you know. We had the Michael Connolly book, the new Harry Bosch book with The Dark Hours was the name of it. Michael Connolly's Fair Warning, which was a book... Because I've read all of his Harry Bosch and Mickey Holler, but he also had Jack McAvoy is one of it was one of his earliest characters. I don't know if you ever saw the Clint Eastwood movie Blood Work, but it was about yeah. him. There's three books in that series, and I didn't realize that he had put out a third one a couple of years ago, so I read that one this year. John Grisham's Rogue Lawyer. Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, the ultimate oral history of the office. Woke up this morning, the definitive oral history of the Sopranos. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I just concluded We Want Bama by Joseph Goodman, and I am currently right now reading Flying Blind, The 737 Max Tragedy and the Fall of Boeing. Damn. 
And those are the 34 books I read in the year of 2021. It's impressive as hell, man. Um, <laughs> and all over the map, dude. I mean. Well, I mean, I think that show, I mean, you know, it just shows uh, you, you, like a, you like to read about a lot of different topics. And, um, you know, a lot of things move you and a lot of things you're interested in. And you have kind of a, uh, a thirst and a quest uh, to learn more. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's one of those, like, like the Boeing book that I'm reading right now, I guess that's just because I've always been interested in airplanes and, and that type of thing. And, you know, I think we all remember the two Boeing, remember when they, the 737 MAX crashed? There were two crashes that happened, and they, they grounded the fleet a couple of years ago. Yeah. So this is the story of that and the history of Boeing. And, I mean, oh, my God. Some of the stuff that's in this book, it is, it's amazing all those people aren't in prison. And maybe they are. I, I can't recall, and I haven't gotten to the end of the book. No, I mean, I'm ta- you talk about covering up a, fo- a feature they knew was dangerous and they knew would cause problems. People that left the company because Boeing refused to acknowledge it or tell people how things happened to where it used to be the FAA would regulate, and then Boeing, they flipped it. The government flipped it to where Boeing told the FAA what to do and that the FAA just accepted it. I mean, it's inc- it, it is amazing that it got to a point where something like this could happen. I would imagine, and it's all over money. It, you're exactly right, because Boeing got to a point where they became one of like the three or four stocks that you could count on every year that went up Stock price went up. Their shareholders were getting paid. It was an incredible investment. But at the bottom line of what they were doing, they cheapened it out. They cut corners all in the name of making rich-ass people have richer asses. Yeah, and, and I would bet it was the difference between somebody who had $50 million, now they've got $70 million. Like, it doesn't change their life at right. all. You're exactly they've right. Got more, yeah. They've still got more money that they could spend in a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it would be like originally before this person took over as CEO, the board bonuses would pay out as $31 million, but now up to $42 million. I mean, just stuff like that where it's just yeah, that's ridiculous, what I mean, where man. It's, it doesn't change your quality of life at all. Yeah, it's sad. And, and so I've got a couple of books on my list to start 2022 with. One of them is a biography on Led Zeppelin, which will probably be the next book that I read to start the year with. And I don't even I'm not even a Led Zeppelin fan. I just think books about rock bands that are like that are cool. <laughs> I think that 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 life, that rock star life is something that's foreign, but we all kind of in some way have fantasized about in our lives. What would it be like to be a mega rock star? I always thought, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, we all know what we're thinking and it's, it's fun. So we'll see where 2022 takes me, but there you have it. Those are the books that I read. And for the most part, I enjoyed pretty much all of them, but my favorite book of the year would be that Project Hail Mary for fiction. And my favorite nonfiction book is, it's probably the Secret Service book. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a, a really cool look at the inner workings of the Secret Service. So there you go. That doesn't surprise me. Sounds like a, sounds like a winner. I thought it was. I hope everybody enjoyed that as much as I did. <laughs> and if not, well, sucks for you. <laughs> it is time we do it pretty much every week. But since we won't have a podcast dropping later this week, our final one of the year, actually, we're we're doing right now. Let's welcome them in. Brought to you by Medea from Scratch and their three fantastic locations around DFW. Longtime ESPN NFL insider Ed Werder joining us. And I don't know, what do you take away from Sunday night, Ed? 56 to 14 offense, defense, special teams, all scoring a touchdown. What's your thought on where this Cowboys team is after that? 
Well, I think they've got to feel pretty good about the fact that they got their offense back on track for the first time in nearly two months. Um, other than the Atlanta game, they hadn't played well on offense for a very long time. I'd look it up, in fact, preparing for the game and found that, oh, the, the last time Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb had a 100-yard game was against Minnesota on Halloween, and Jack Prescott wasn't the quarterback. Um, and so neither one of them had a hundred yard game against Washington either, but largely because Dak only played less than three quarters. Uh, they could have named the score in the game the other night. Uh, I think the thing that stands out to me from that game is nobody's going to want to play, um, the Cowboys in Arlington in the postseason anymore. They're going to want to play the Packers at Lambeau Field in the postseason. Um, if you look at the numbers, the, they're the highest team in the NFL at home. And then they average 15 points per game on the road. They've won on the road, but they don't score in other in other stadiums like they do their own. They're a whole different team to me uh, in that stadium. And the other thing is like how much how much does playing in the NFC East um, hurt you ultimately in terms of getting ready for postseason success? I mean, it's going to be a huge step up in competition for the Cowboys from playing these NFC East teams that they've been blowing out you know, the last month or so of the season to now go play, whether it's, you know, the Rams or the 49ers early on and, and ultimately the Bucks, the Packers come into play. I'm just not sure how well the, playing in the NFC East prepares you for the challenge you're going to face in the postseason. And I think that's a good point, which is why I'm so curious as to, uh, to see them play uh, the Cardinals this week. I mean, we mm-hmm. all know that the Cardinals have been struggling, but we also know that Kyler Murray is a legit quarterback. they got legit weapons on offense, and it'll be a good test just to see, again, how they perform against a, you know, a legitimate offensive unit. Yeah, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins, so they're not quite the, the team that they were early in the season. You know, they were the last undefeated team in football when they were 7-0, and but they've, they've gone 3-5 and since then. Uh, which has become sort of a customary trajectory for Cliff Kingsbury teams. I think the interesting thing in these next two games, starting, um, as you said, with, uh, with the Sunday late afternoon game against the Cardinals, is you know the Cowboys haven't really had to play a running quarterback very often. And the last running quarterback they played was Taysom Hill. And Taysom Hill went over 100 yards. First time the Cowboys defense in franchise history has allowed a 100-yard a rushing game to an opposing quarterback. And now you got Kyler Murray and then you got Jalen Hurts. Uh, both of those two guys rank in the top five among running quarterbacks in terms of rushing yards. And Hurts leads the NFL among quarterbacks with 10 touchdowns. So I think it's going to be a little different challenge athletically. Would you would think the Cowboys would be able to manage that situation? Um, but we saw Kyler Murray take off last week and have his best, his longest run of the season is 57 yards. They didn't win the game against the Colts, decimated Colts team. Um, and Arizona's been been struggling, but I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see the Cowboys play against a team that's clinched a playoff berth because so far they're 0-2 against teams that have clinched the playoff berth. They lost at Kansas City and to start the season at Tampa Bay. Those are the only two playoff teams they've faced at this point. What was the most impressive thing to you from Sunday night that you saw from this Dallas team in a game full of impressive things? Um, I, I, I thought just watching Dak play, um, I thought he looked different. I thought he was, you know, decisive, seeing the field well, accurate, seemed in sync with what was being called by Kellen Moore. And maybe most importantly, um, I thought he moved with ease. Um, he, he showed a willingness to run, 
He got out of the pocket and made plays and put pressure on the defense and looked comfortable doing that. don't think we've seen that very often this year, whether it was related to – it was obviously related to the, the leg fracture and the, and the ankle dislocation that he suffered last year that ended his season in Week 5, whether it was also then related to the calf injury. He's continued to deny that. But it just – he hasn't – he hasn't been that guy all season, in my mind, until the other night. You know, he before he suffered that injury, he always talked about how he liked to, to play a physical style at the quarterback position. You know, he'd take people on, and he thought that it motivated his team and brought a, uh, an intensity to their attack on offense. And we really haven't seen that until the other night. I mean, he was still smart about getting out of bounds and getting down, but I just thought he looked like he had that mobility dimension. I don't know that he's ever going to be the dual threat that he was his first few years in the league. But if he can do what he did the other night, I think it makes it easier for them to succeed on offense. You know what's interesting about that? The one thing I noticed is uh, it looked like they had a couple of read option plays in there. And even though he gave the ball off, he like aggressively took it to the corner like he might think about running. I was like, oh, that's interesting because I don't really remember him doing it this year. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I've talked to a few defensive coordinators who were, you know, as they were about to play the Cowboys, and, and they all talked about, we still think he can run. He's choosing not to do it from what we can tell. Um, you know, but those RPOs that they've tried to reintroduce to the offense that were so effective um, pre-injury, Dak, before last year, it's always looked to me like it's been predetermined to read, like he's given it up every time. He's never, he's never kept right. it and gone around the edge. And for that to be truly respected, he's going to have to do that at some point. He's going to have to keep it, and he's going to have to run with it for that to be full, a fully effective part of their offensive repertoire. Yeah, and when you when you talk about Dak running the football, and, and we saw this the other night, with everything that he did, the Cowboys' running game still seems, and, and Zeke's health obviously is a part of that, but it still seemed like it wasn't quite what it needs to be. What do you see in the run game that they still need to have? As you pointed out, you can beat up on the NFC East, but when you get into the playoffs, you're going to need that run game to be able to do something more. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the real issue is. But my my sense is it has you know something to do with the offensive line. Obviously, they played a game about uh, Tyron Smith. I think since they put Connor Williams in, they've shown um, a greater willingness to put those guys on the move up front, and I think that benefits them. But ultimately, I think the whole key to their offense is being able to run on first down successfully. Um, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but um, through the first eight weeks of the season when the Cowboys were, you know, like 6-1, and one, number one offense, number one scoring offense, they were also first in the NFL in yards per attempt on first down runs. And they, over this last period of two months, they've fallen all the way to 27th going into last week's game against Washington. And they weren't that great running the ball in that game. I mean, I think Zeke only had 37 yards. Um, but we got to the point where, you know, Zeke and the coaches going, going into last week's game were talking about, hey, we're seeing a lot of progress in this, you know, in this run game. And Zeke, Zeke is coming off a 52-yard game at the time. Like, how, how much lower is the standard than where it used to be? <laughs> I think that's because uh, we, we, we look at Zeke and we go, clearly – He's uh, he's compromised because I don't think he's had more than 50 yards in six or seven games in a row. I would think if you're a Cowboys fan, you can look at the last two weeks and see him score from 13 and see him score for 11 and go, yeah. maybe he's getting yeah. closer to being a, I don't know, good back as opposed to a hurt back. 
Well, I, I mentioned, and, and, and obviously he has value in terms of you know, his ability to block and his willingness to do so. That's an important part of being a running back here if you're going to throw the football like they do. And he's, he's always been great at that part of the game, you know, what he does without the ball. Um, but, you know, I mentioned talking to defensive coordinators as they're getting ready to play the Cowboys. I can tell you more than one has said, you know, we'd rather Zeke be in there than Tony Pollard. We're, we're afraid of Tony Pollard. We're afraid yeah. Tony Pollard's going to break a big play on us. We're not afraid Zeke Elliott's going to break a big play on us. So I, believe uh, I, I, I think that if Zeke didn't have the respect in the locker room and from the coaching staff for what he's done since he came into the league in 2016, two-time rushing champion, if he wasn't paid like Jerry's paid him, um, if you were doing it just on merit, other than the blocking aspect of it, I think you know what is now a 60-40 Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard split might be the other way around, that it might be 60% of the plays for Pollard and 40% for Zeke. But those other things are, are big factors. He's an energy guy. Uh, obviously, the owners made a commitment to him. Um, and and I, I really anticipated, as I'm sure you guys did, that you know he was never going to challenge. I've said this before. He's never going to challenge for a rushing title again with Mike McCarthy as, a, as the head coach. He's just not going to get enough opportunities. Um, and now I'm not even sure that he's, he's – I'm not – I'm not sure he's earning all of the opportunities he's getting right now. No, that's fair. When you look at this Cowboys staff and the report coming out today that the Jags, for instance, have requested permission to interview both Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore, do you see that this might be the season that they lose not just Kellen Moore, but maybe Dan Quinn as well and, and be looking for two new coordinators? Well, I think the, the, the guy who's more likely to leave is Dan Quinn. Um, you know, Dan Quinn, I mean, people mock him for, you know, losing a 28 to three lead to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl, but he coached the Falcons to a Super Bowl that they should have won. And it wasn't all his fault they lost. In fact, I would argue it's more Kyle Shanahan's fault that they lost uh, than it was Dan Quinn's. But Dan Quinn's ultimately responsible, so it's his fault too. Um, but he's, what he's done this year in turning around this defense and, in you know his level of involvement in the off season and telling you know Will McClay and Stephen and Jerry what he wanted players to look like and which guys he wanted to draft and their willingness to commit their first six picks and to draft the defense for the first time uh, and then to be as involved as they were in, in free agency and for most of those players to be defensive signees and almost all of them have, have panned out like I don't think they made a bad decision on a draft pick or a guy they signed in free agency. Um, on defense in particular. And, you know, Quinn has, you know, he talked about, hey, in my time away, I reevaluated myself. And I think he really did make changes. And, and that doesn't happen very often with guys who have coached as long as he did, you know, who have had the success he did with a single system, you know, from Pete Carroll and, and Gus Bradley in Seattle. But he obviously made changes when, you know, he came up with different roles for all these guys. Uh, he wanted guys who were long, who had long arms, who were, um, ball hawks and, and all of those characteristics have come through and that's why they're playing such great defense right now I was going to say and that's the that's the putting the defense together and clearly he's done an amazing job doing that but I love the fact that um, you know he, he let Trayvon Diggs follow the best receiver that he's been very yeah. creative with Micah Parsons and that you know, he's, he's done all these things scheme-wise to free up guys to make plays, much like we see him do on offense all the time and rarely see him do on defense. So that's, that's why all of those things, like you look at what he's done here and you, and you 
consider his personality. He's a big personality. He, I think he comes across well, you know, when he's speaking to the media in public. Like, you, you'd be glad to have him be the face of your franchise. Um, I'm not sure Jacksonville is the right place for him, and I think he'll be selective um, because he knows he needs to make sure that it works this time. The appeal in Jacksonville would obviously be, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Um, but um, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, has already kind of tried this route before. He had Gus Bradley, who preceded um, Dan Quinn in Seattle as, the, as a defensive coordinator there. So I'm not sure that's the direction that they'll go. And who's to say? And I, and I say this now: who knows where we are? You know, a month from now, maybe the offense is going uh, like it was early in the season, and Ed Kellen Moore is more in demand. But Dan Dan Quinn, I think, is going to sit across from an owner and a general manager, and he's going to be really impressive from a personality standpoint, um, and and from a take charge. Be, be the face of your franchise. In addition to, geez, look what I just did with X's and O's. I took the what had been the worst defense in the history of, a, of an organization that's been around playing football for 60 years, and I, I turned it from a, a weakness into an absolute strength. There were, were two months where we won because we, of the way we played on defense. We carried the offense. As we circle back around to this Arizona game, what do you think has been the thing with Kyler Murray? He comes back from his injuries. I think it's been four games now, and he had the, the 380 or whatever it was against the Rams a couple weeks ago, but only four touchdowns in his last four games back passing. He had 17 the first eight games that they played. What, what have you seen with Kyler Murray? He just seems a little different than he was earlier in the year. Yeah, it, 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 it all seems different. I mean, they just seem totally out of sync. Um, uh, you know, obviously DeAndre Hopkins missing him is a huge part uh, for them. Uh, you know, Rodney Hudson, they're the center that they, they acquired from the Raiders, uh, has been out the last two weeks. He's, he's now been activated and should play against Dallas. That's a big thing, I think, for him, feeling comfortable in the pocket. Um, but if you look at uh, the first eight games when they were 7-1, and one, you know, the last four, they're 1-3. and three. His completion percentage is down 10%. His passing yards have gone from 284 a game to 252. And worst of all, touchdowns to interceptions has gone from 17 and 7 to 4 and 3. Um, so he's not, he's not been effective on third down. He's not produced in the red zone. Kind of the same things we saw with the Cowboys during their slump. But we all know that the potential is there for him to be, you know, a very explosive player. We saw it last year. He, he wasn't accurate with the football. What do you go, 8 for 20 or something like that? But he had two long touchdowns, and he ran for like 80 yards against the Cowboys last year. So <laughs> so I think those are our unique, the unique challenges that he brings. And as he gets healthy, and maybe to make up for you know losing a playmaker like Hopkins the rest of the regular season, maybe he becomes a more dynamic player again himself and starts running the football more because that's what, where he is different than everybody else. And I don't think he's used that enough this season. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but why do you think the Cowboys' defense is now playing like an elite unit? Uh, well, for you know, for all of the the reasons that you mentioned a minute ago, that you know, you got Trayvon Diggs, and and he's able to match up with a with any receiver football one on one. The the Micah Parsons and the inability to know where he's going to play and whether he's going to rush and where it's going to come from, you know, I, I've admitted um, I was totally wrong about Randy Gregory. He is he is a unique player. Jerry was right about him. I see why Jerry Wade was as patient as he was 
Um, and then since Demarcus Lawrence has come back, it's been ridiculous the number of turnovers they've created. What in the four games he's played, I think they've had, I think they're plus ten in turnovers since he came back, and they have a defensive touchdown in every game. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think they have an enormous amount of talent and speed and quickness and versatility. And you know, Dan Quinn's done a great job of disguising and developing roles. I remember in training camp he was talking about hey, I want to know what every guy's strength and weakness is, and I'm only going to use his, this any player in a situation where he's going to feel like only his, he's not going to be exploited. His weakness is not going to be exploitable. He's only going to be put in a situation where he can succeed, where he has a, it is an advantage. And I, I think we've seen that play out every, every week. Ed Werder, as always, man, we appreciate your time here this afternoon on a, a non-normal day for you. Happy New Year, and we'll touch base with you again uh, in the new year before the Eagles game. Sounds great. Look forward to talking to you guys. Happy 2022. All right. Appreciate it, Ed. Thanks. Okay. See you guys. All right. There he is, our ESPN NFL insider, Ed Werder, again brought to you by Medea from Scratch, three great Dallas area locations, Flower Mound, Plano, Grapevine. Find one near you and enjoy it, but... I got to tell you, man, uh, I hate to say it, but I wouldn't mind if Kyler Murray ran for 100 yards on Sunday. Okay, I'm curious. Why is that? Because you think that means the Cowboys win? No, he's my fantasy quarterback, and I'm playing for a championship. <laughs> All right. I, 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 silly me. Silly me. I, I'm just saying I, I, I want the Cowboys to win. I do. But if Kyler Murray can run for it, just like the Saints game, if he runs for 100 yards, a couple touchdowns, <laughs> and the Cowboys still win, I'm all about that because that would be huge for me as I go for my fourth fantasy championship. Against hated rival Nick. That's dude, right. Man, the dude you gave the full frontal hug to at the ballpark in Arlington. That's right. It's very true, man. So looking forward to and that. I was shocked. I was like, who is Matt giving this full frontal and nearly touching tongues with? Yeah. Wow. And then I found mm. out the true story, and I go, oh, okay, it's not so bad. <laughs> not at all. Thanks so much to all of you. Happy New Year to everybody. We will be back. We will have a podcast after the Cardinals game on Sunday, but this is our last one for the year. Cannot say how much. I mean, a, a full year of doing the podcast. We did it for two and a half months in 2020, 12 full months of podcasting this year, and it's all because of you guys supporting our sponsors, talking about it, retweeting it, putting it up on social media, letting people know we exist the growth that we've had in 2021 for the podcast is awesome. There's some really cool stuff in the works for 2022 to grow this even more, but it's a testament to all of you who have been with us this entire year and just wanted to let you all know that. Thank you so much for your support. Really, really, really means a lot to us. Hell yeah, it does. Um, we talk about it all the time, not just uh, to you guys, but amongst ourselves about uh, what a great fan base we've got. Uh, because you guys are committed to us just like we're committed to doing the podcast uh, and giving you guys, uh, you know, the best that we can. And so uh, we love doing it. We talk about it all the time. And, uh, you know, we'll be here for the long haul. Indeed we will. Enjoy your new year, and we will talk to you a year from now in 2022. Maybe we'll finally have flying cars. <laughs> see you guys thanks for listening to the jam session podcast make sure to find us on instagram at jam session cast of course you can also find us on twitter at mcmatt radio and at jjt underscore journalist our podcast is sponsored by greening law a personal injury law firm in dallas texas greening law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal 
Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. Also brought to you by Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. Let him help you secure your family's future. You can give him a call at 940-453-3490. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.